Welcome to the 73rd episode of the Headkick KO podcast. We did miss last week, but we are here again this week. And today we are here to discuss UFC Fight Night Yair Rodriguez versus Brian Ortega. Once we're done with that, we are going to talk about Nate Diaz. I usually don't um, talk a lot about controversy or, or issues that are going on in the sport, but I will touch on that because I have some thoughts on that, and I kind of wanted to, to discuss who some potential opponents um, may be for Nate Diaz. So we're going to do that right in the middle of this once we get done with Ortega and Rodriguez. And then we're going to look at some fight announcements that have been made over the last week or so. And uh, we do have one pay-per-view headliner in there, so we have that to talk about. And then I'm going to end it by looking forward to next week's pay-per-view, which is headlined by Tom Aspinall and Curtis Blades, and that card is UFC London. So I'm going to talk briefly about that. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, um, but I'll just talk a little bit about some of the bigger fights and then some, some brief opinions on the prelims and, and some of those other fights. So... Um, like I said, we're going to get right started at Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez. And this was a very unfortunate situation. Obviously, a lot of people were really excited for this fight. I was very, very excited. Um, like I said, I wasn't here last week, so I didn't get to tell you all my thoughts about this fight going into it. But I was very excited for this. I thought this was going to be a fight of the night. I thought this was going to be a fight of the year candidate. I thought this was going to be a war of a fight. And in the first round, it was looking like that's what we were going to get. I mean, if you're looking for a fight of the night, obviously the defense control by Ortega, not exactly what you're looking for, but anytime those two were at distance, we were seeing a lot of strikes thrown. I think Yair was a little bit ahead in the striking department. I think he landed the bigger shots. However, Brian Ortega also landed some really good shots. He he cut up Yair a little bit, and that was a competitive fight until uh, we saw the injury from Brian Ortega. Now, a lot of people are really discussing, you know, what exactly happened, and in my opinion, this isn't anything more than a freak injury um, that we can't really do much about. I know Yair was attacking a submission. I know he had an arm bar. Um, but how many times do you see a shoulder pop out well, when you're when you're doing an arm bar? It's not really all that common. And it's especially not that common in MMA. You know, an arm bar is meant to attack the elbow joint. And I think if the, the injury was an elbow injury and Brian Ortega's elbow popped out, I think we would be having a different conversation. But considering the fact that his shoulder popped out and it wasn't really a deep arm bar, I don't think anybody was like, oh, yeah, you're going to get this arm bar as you're watching that. I think it was very clear that Ortega was going to get out of that. He, he just um, got unlucky and his shoulder popped. So... Um, I, I really don't know what else there is to say about that fight because I don't think we really got a full grasp of who was winning that fight. Well, I think Yair was winning, but I think the first round would have been Yair's you know, best round in terms of cardio and striking. And I think Ortega 
in the striking department at least would have been able to pick it up as we got a little bit deeper into that fight and when you're fighting someone as dangerous as Brian Ortega and Ye Rodriguez for that matter um you know you can really finish someone at any moment in that fight you know if that fight goes four more rounds there's a good chance we see a finish so I, I don't really think that Yeah, Rodriguez did enough to stake a, you know, claim at deserving a title shot. I don't think he did enough for that. And I think that leaves this division in a really interesting spot. Um, And there's a lot of moving pieces here. So let me just kind of recap um, where we're at right now in this division. First off, the champion, Alexander Volkanovsky, will be out for 12 weeks. And... He, because he broke his thumb against Max Holloway. Um, and then we have Josh Emmett, who beat Kelvin Cater by split decision. I believe that was a split decision. Nonetheless, it was by decision. And then we have Yair Rodriguez, who just got this win over Brian Ortega that we just discussed. Now, what are we going to do with the title? Oh, one more other piece I should add is that Alexander Volkanovsky, the champion, is considering going up to 155 pounds. So, where are we at in this division? I think it's a really interesting question because there are a couple things that I could see happening. And one of the things that I've seen that is being discussed is an interim belt while Volkanovski recovers from his thumb injury. Now, I don't think that is necessarily the best idea in the world, right? Um... He has already fought twice this year. He's been an active champion. First of all, it's not like Volkanovski is the champion that, you know, fights once a year or once, you know, every 14 months. He's very active in defending that belt. And even when Max Holloway got injured and had to pull out of that that third fight, which was supposed to take place in the spring, he he stayed on that card and, and took another opponent. And, um... I believe that Ortega, that Ortega fight got pushed back and they ended up putting that on tough. So he had two fights that were, one got pushed back and one he had an opponent change. And, you know, if if he fights Max Holloway in the spring and if Ortega doesn't, I don't know if it was Ortega or Volkanovski that had to pull out of that fight. One of them had COVID and it got pushed back and then they did the ultimate fighter. So he has been on the wrong side of some issues that kind of hindered his activity. And he really, despite that, has been one of the more active champions. So I don't think it is fair to say you have to take three months off, so we're going to do an interim belt. I mean, three three months is not a long period of time when you're looking at a UFC schedule. Usually guys, you know, take six months to return anyways. And, you know, there wasn't really any talk of an interim belt. Well, Kamara Usman was recovering from his hand injury. And those two are one and two in the pound-for-pound rankings. And if you want to keep going with that, if you want to look at the schedule right now, we're in July. So just for simple math, we'll go August, October, November. Say he misses those three months. And then we'll say he takes December off for um, Christmas time. And we'll say he just, you know, gets back in the flow of training, nothing too hard. And then he can start a training camp in that first month of January. And that is a very not aggressive 
you know, timeline to return. That is a very passive. He could return by January of 2023 if he'd liked, but um, that is a very passive thought that he could return by, by March, and that is with him taking more than enough time to recover and him taking time off for the holidays. And um, he, he would be able to get in two fights next year as well. So as long as you're fighting at a pace where you're getting two fights in a year as a champion, I don't think there's any room for a discussion of an interim belt. If he was only getting one fight in a year, I think there'd be a little bit more discussion. But when you're getting two in every year and, you know, this injury will still allow him to get two fights in next year at a minimum. So I, I don't really think there's any necessary discussion right now for an interim belt. However, I think there is one way that could change. I think the only way that we should uh, put an interim belt at this 145 pound division is if Volkanovski um, decides to make a run at the 155 pound belt. Um, and my reasoning for that is it's the timeline then gets pushed back because the timeline we were just just discussing where he returns in March of 2023, that fight would be for the 155 pound belt. And then say he takes six months from there, and then you're looking at a um, featherweight return in the third quarter of 2023. If that's the case, then I think we can talk interim belts. But if uh, his first fight back is at featherweight, then I think um, we we pump the brakes on the interim belt. And when it comes to determining if Volkanovski um, will be fighting for that 155-pound belt, I think that's going to be a very simple discussion. We can't have that discussion right now, but I think on October 23rd we will have that answer um, because we will see that lightweight belt, which I guess this is going to be in the news, but we'll touch on it and spoil it a little bit now. But um, that lightweight belt will be defended, or, well, that lightweight belt will... There will be a champion in the lightweight division on October 22nd whether that be Charles Oliveira or Islam Makhlchev. And um, once, we, once we figure out on that date who the champion is, and then we can look around and evaluate, do we have a number one contender? Um, and if someone you know rattles off two wins and makes themselves a clear contender for that lightweight belt, then you can go with one of those guys. However, if um, the top portion of that uh, division remains unactive and we don't have someone emerge, as a clear title contender, then I think it would make sense to have Volkanovski move up to 155. In that scenario, then you could do an interbelt at 145. So I hope that kind of made a little bit of sense. We rambled for a minute there, but I think it's important to discuss that because that is a very big topic that, that we have to um, get an answer to. And that is my opinion uh, on the interbelt situation. And then from there, it's... If there's an interim belt, like I said, there could be. Um, if there's an interim belt, and if we have, or if we have a number one contenders match, I think it's pretty clear that that needs to be Yay Rodriguez versus Josh Emmett. These two guys have not fought the champion Volkanovski, so you can either a pair them up against one another, and the winner fights Volkanovski when he gets back from injury, or you do the interim belt and the winner fights Volkanovski once he is done. Um, chasing that 155 pound division just kind of depends on the move of Volkanovski how you approach that situation but I think the two guys who are one and two however you would like to rank them 
in terms of title contention. I think it is Yair and Josh Emmett. At this point, I just don't see anyone else because you're looking at Max Holloway, who's the number one ranked guy, but obviously he will not be fighting for that championship anytime soon. We saw Brian Ortega, who just got injured, but once again, he um, has already fought the champion, and I, I don't um, I don't think that fight is going to happen right now. And then after that, you would have to go all the way down to guys like Calvin Cater and Arnold Allen. And I don't think either of those guys would uh, be able to make a run at a title too soon, um, assuming Arnold Allen doesn't rattle off two or three wins in a row. Things could get interesting, um, but I just don't think he's going to be active enough um, to get that title shot over either of the other two guys. And that's not a knock on Arnold Allen. He just has a little bit of ground to make up. I think he could eventually get a title shot in the future. I just don't think it is the next one. All right. Now that we have that kind of featherweight division kind of sorted out, um, we're going to move on to Amanda Lemos versus Michelle Watterson Gomez. This was a good fight while it lasted. And we we were seeing Amanda Lemos, who was doing a really good job landing some good power strikes. Um, this was kind of a, a very Michelle Watterson-esque fight where it wasn't incredibly active. Michelle Watterson was doing a good job on the outside, but Lemos was really able to get inside and land some really strong, strong shots on the inside. And that is her biggest strength is landing those power shots on the inside. And she was able to do that. And then in a grappling exchange, she was she did a really, really good job of jumping on that neck of Michelle Watterson and getting that guillotine, and she got that finish. So that was a very good performance by Amanda Lemos. She is a fighter that I'm very high on in this division, and I really like her future in this division, which is, this is a pretty stacked division when you look at it, um, in comparison to especially a lot of the other women's divisions. Um, the one through five is a lot stronger. And then when you're looking at those women who are even in that six to 11 range, there's a lot of really good fighters there, whether that be Jessica Andrade at six, whether it be Amanda Hibas at nine, Tisha Torres at eight even. So I think those are some names that may make sense for Amanda Lemos, um, not Jessica Andrade, but um, a Tisha Torres or an Amanda Hibas would make sense. Um, maybe even a Yao Xiaonan. Um, I'm not exactly sure if she has a fight booked. But um, a fight between Xiaonan and Lemos may make a little bit of sense. Oh. Um, Mackenzie Dern and Yan Xiaonan are booked to fight on October 1st. I did not see that. That came out one week ago. So, uh, there's another bit of news for you. Mackenzie Dern and Yao Xiaonan. We are all out of order today, but it's whatever. So, um, Tisha Torres and Amanda Hibas are, are some good options for Amanda Lemos moving forward. And then, moving on, we saw Li Jingliang beat Muslim Salikov. And that was a really good performance by Li Jingliang. I mean, he did a really good job of setting up that power right hand. And once he had it set up... He was able to land it, and uh, he had Salikov hurt, and then once he had him hurt, it was just a matter of uh, finishing that fight, and he did a really good job stalking. 
um, Salikov and not letting him get out of there. So that was some really good finishing instincts after a strong right hand from Li Jing Liang. Now, moving forward, Li Jing Liang is in an interesting position. Um, and it's not just him because I'm really intrigued by what's going to happen with some of these names at welterweight in between that, um, not 10, um, but we'll say 11 to 15 range. Guys like Michael Chiesa, Neil Magny, Jeff Neal, Li Jingliang, and Michelle Pijeda, those are the guys in that range of fighter. And then when you look at the guys who are just outside the rankings, whether it be guys like Kevin Holland, um, there are a handful of others too um, that I've really liked in the past. So that welterweight division, um, there's a lot of guys that are deserving of getting a title shot, or not a title shot, excuse me. Um, there are a lot of guys who are worthy of getting a ranked opponent that are outside of those rankings, but at the same time, a lot of those ranked guys, like Li Jing Liang, who just defended his spot in the rankings, you know, he could probably get a, a bigger-named opponent. Um, especially someone else in that 10 to 14 spot. But some of those other welterweights um, that I was just speaking of, once this loads, um, some of those other welterweights, whether it be Santiago Pantanibio, Jake Matthews, Daniel Rodriguez even, Kevin Holland, like I mentioned before, um, a lot of these guys, Salikov was one, but he um, obviously just had his opportunity. Randy Brown has been fighting really, really well. Um, Jack Delamata Delena is probably one or two fights away from being in that discussion as well. Brian Barbarena has won some fights. Max Griffin, even Andre Fialo, those guys are coming off losses. Jeremiah Wells. So... There's a lot of guys in this division that I could see, you know, getting some ranked competition soon. And at the same time, a lot of those guys in that 11 and 15, to 11 to 15 spot deserve to fight up in the rankings. Um, specifically guys like Li Jing Liang and Michelle Pijeda. So I think one way they may work that is they may do Li Jing Liang versus like a Michael Chiesa. They may do a Michelle Pijeda versus a Neil Magny and see how that makes that division pan out. Um, so those may be a couple of the things that we might see in the future, but um, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know how they're going to book that division because I think there are quite a few different directions that they could go. And then um, we had Matt Schnell defeat Sumu Darji in, in what was a great fight. Triangle choke to finish it, but before that, Sumudarji was really piecing Matt, piecing Matt Schnell up. And Matt Schnell landed some good shots of his own, but for the large part, it was Sumudarji who was landing strong elbows on the inside, landing ones and twos from a distance, um, and landing a lot of the power strikes. He was really hurting Schnell, and then Schnell um, was able to turn it around by landing a couple good shots of his own, got the fight to the ground, got to mount, and then from there, he hurt him really bad in mount and eventually topped it off by getting a triangle. So that was a clear fight of the night. Great fight. Um, I don't really have too much to talk about in terms of booking for these guys. I don't think Sumundarji should fall too far. I think Amir Albazi, uh, Tim Elliott, David Dvorak, Menel Kopp maybe. Those are some names that we may see 
for um, Sumudarji. Like I said, I think he is very good in this division, but um, he just was on the wrong side of that one. For Matt Schnell, he said he wants to fight at Madison Square Garden. I mean, if you can put on fights like that in front of a crowd, you might as well give him another crowd um, in his next fight. So I think that makes sense in terms of a date. And then he asked for Mateus Nicolau, and that is possibly the most reasonable call-out I've ever heard in my life. He knows exactly where he stands in this division. He's asking for the guy who's ranked 7th, and that is one spot ahead of him. And if you look higher up in those rankings, you're looking at guys like Alex Perez, Brandon Royval. You know, he's not going to get any of those fights. So I think the Matthias Nicolau call-out makes a lot of sense, and I think he gets that fight as well. And then also on the main card, we had Shane Burgos and Charles Jordan. Um, I know some people scored this fight for Charles Jordan, but I think Shane Burgos um, deserved to win this fight. Um, and that's not to take anything away from Charles Jordan because I really like the way he fought. But I think Shane Burgos did enough in round one and round two in terms of getting to the back and controlling position to win those rounds. Uh, round three was very clear for Jordan, and he did a lot of really good work in that round. I, I did think he was going to get a finish there for a second, so I was impressed with that. And I don't think that Charles Jordan is, you know, I don't think his stock got hit too hard here. Um, I think in the future, I think if he is able to take what he does in round three and distribute that a little bit, and do some more of that in round one and round two, I think he gets out of there with a decision victory and a ranked win. So I don't think Charles Jordan is going to fall too much. On the other hand, we have Shane Burgos, who was able to get himself another ranked win. I'm interested to see what they do with Burgos, because Burgos has fought a lot of these guys in this division. And some of the guys that he hasn't fought are already booked to fight. So, um, right now, I think that Dan Ige is the best fight to make there. Dan Ige versus Shane Burgos makes a lot of sense from an entertainment standpoint. Um, Dan, Dan Ige has really been sliding in those rankings. So, fighting a guy on the edge to kind of retain your spot, I think, is a good move for Ige. And for Burgos, he's already fought guys like Edson Barbosa. Sadiq Yusuf is booked, and he's not really going to climb too far in the rankings above the 11 spot because you have guys like Evelev, Mitchell, Chikaze who's booked. So he's not really going to get any of those fights. So I think Ige versus Burgos makes a lot of sense. One of them will keep his spot in the rankings. The other one will probably have to take on a young up-and-comer. So I think that is the best fight for both guys probably. And then for Charles Jordan, like I said, I don't think um, Charles Jordan should fall too much in these bantamweight rankings because I do think he is a very, very good fighter. Excuse me, in these featherweight rankings because he is a very good fighter. But obviously, um, that was his shot at getting a ranked win. He didn't, so I think he's going to have to slide back down to fighting some unranked names and get himself a win or two wins um, before he makes another crack at those rankings. Um, some names that make a level of sense. Hakeem Dawadu, I, I think, is a good option. Um, Dawadu is just outside of those rankings. 
and he's someone who was a ranked fighter, lost to Monsivar Evelev, and then slid out of those rankings. So I think that is a fight where if you were to extend, extend these rankings to a 16 and a 17 spot, you may see Hakeem Dawudu and Charles Jordan being those guys. Um, some other options, uh, Cub Swanson, who has a good win, and he has been fighting very well as of late. So I think Cub Swanson versus Charles Jordan is a really fun fight and a really interesting fight. Um, from there, we have Gavin Tucker, possibly, who's coming off a KO loss to Dan Ige. Um, maybe a Pat Sabatini. There are some interesting names here, but those are just some of the ones I'm thinking of. Maybe he fights someone like an Andre Feely, who has a little bit of a, a bigger name, but hasn't been fighting um, as well recently. Maybe a Bill Aglio. You know, some guys like that who are obviously talented, but just not in the featherweight rankings at the moment. All right, moving on, moving on. Um, Misha Tate and Lauren Murphy. Um, I was really high on Misha Tate coming into this fight, but she just didn't look great. Um, she didn't look great in that fight, and she looked a little bit slower than I thought she was going to. And Misha Tate was, or excuse me, Lauren Murphy was clearly the stronger fighter, and she did a good job of exposing some Misha Tate lack of head movement. Um, so... If you're not moving your head, you know, that's obviously never good, but it gets really bad when the other fighter knows, hey, I can throw a jab and I can throw a straight and hit you very frequently. And that's exactly what Lauren Murphy was doing. So credit to Lauren Murphy because she did fight a great fight. Um, now, what is next for both of these fighters? We'll start with Lauren Murphy. And for Lauren Murphy, she is, I don't know how soon she's going to be able to get another title shot. But I think she fights someone in the upper portion of those 125-pound rankings. She asked for the winner of ooh, was that Manon? She asked for the winner of Manon Fior and whoever Manon Fior was fighting. Let me double check on that because for some reason I can't remember. Was it Andrade? Might have been Andrade. Um. Let's see here. Yes, she is fighting Andrade. That fight makes sense. Um, that fight makes sense. You can make the argument that Minon Fior would deserve a title shot if she beats Jessica Andrade, but um, regardless, Tyler Santos, I don't know if she's going to get an immediate rematch. This is another fight where I think we'll know a little bit more about Valentina Shevchenko's future. Once we see that fight between Amanda Nunes and Juliana Pena, I think she wants to go up to 135, and I think it makes sense. This 125-pound division doesn't really have much for her. Maybe Alexa Grasso is a name that Lauren Murphy could fight. Um, but, you know, that division, the top half of that division especially, a lot of those women have already lost to Valentina. So I don't know how much there is there and how long that takes Lauren Murphy to get another title shot. Because I think they do really like the idea of giving Valentina... Shevchenko some fresh names and some fresh opponents so I don't know how early we would see that rematch um, and then for Misha Tate I think Misha Tate needs to sit down and decide what she wants to do in her career because since she has came back it's always been about making a run at the title 
Uh, when she lost at 135, she said, okay, I'll make my run at the title at 125. Um, and now it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So I think Misha Tate needs to decide, you know, do I want to keep fighting? And if I want to keep fighting, am I okay with not getting a title shot anytime soon? Am I okay with being a, a gatekeeper per se, a fighter that fights in that three, you know, maybe she could fight, right? I don't know if she could get back to that number three spot in the rankings, but you know, that five to 10 to 15, you kind of float around if you're hot or you're cold. If she's okay with doing that, I think she can can and should continue fighting. But um, if she's not okay with, um, if, she's, if she's not okay with that, I think it's probably best for her to retire. And I don't really like telling fighters when they should or should not retire. But um, I just I just don't see her getting a, a title shot again. And the last fight that we are going to discuss on this card is going to be Ricky Simone versus Jack Shore. I just wanted to make sure that I gave Ricky Simone some props. I know this fight was on the prelims, but it was very important to that featherweight, excuse me, that bantamweight division. Keep getting the featherweights and bantamweights uh, mixed up, but... Ricky Simone versus Jack Shore. Really good performance by Ricky Simone. He did a great job mixing in that wrestling, and then when it was on the feet, he was doing a good job landing landing some strikes, and then eventually he lands that big strike and does a great job capitalizing with a submission. And I like the way he attacked the submission because he was attacking submissions that would end with him being on top. So I, I liked that. And this was a great submission win. For Ricky Simone, I I think he's got a, a couple of options here. Um, I don't think he gets a Sean O'Malley fight like he called for. But um, I think he will be fighting someone ranked ahead of him. A Frankie Edgar is a possibility. A Song Yadong is a possibility. A Pedro Munoz is a possibility. Um, I think they booked Sean O'Malley first. I think Sean O'Malley gets one of those names that I just mentioned. And then from there, I think they give Ricky Simone someone who um, they did not book Sean with. And then maybe you give uh, the the last guy of the three to Umar Nurmagomedov. Just some thoughts on how you could book that division. Now, um, we are like I meant like I mentioned earlier, we were going to talk about Nate Diaz, and we are going to talk about Nate. And I don't want to talk too long about Nate because that's not really... There's there's some stuff that should be addressed, but not a bunch to say. First of all, if you don't know, Nate Diaz wants to leave the UFC. He has one fight left, left on his contract. He wants to fight that fight and boogie. Now, um, a couple things. I think that some of the things that Nate said were taken a little bit out of context you know, and not really deciphered to kind of, and they were taken very literal. Um, I think the best example of that is when he said the something about fighting Francis and Ganu or Israel Adesanya. I think the point that Nate was trying to make that he isn't interested in fighting a lot of UFC fighters because they aren't very accomplished or haven't been fighting well recently. Um, that's why he uses the example of guys like Poirier, um, who get choked out. So he said, you got to go to the back of the line. And so he was 
kind of comparing the success of guys like Poirier, who he doesn't really want to fight, like Connor, who he doesn't really want to fight. He thinks those guys were at the back of the line. Um, and he's talking about how guys like Adesanya and Ngannou have been successful. And he wants to fight fighters that have been successful, like Adesanya, like Ngannou. He's not saying, oh, I want to go to heavyweight and fight Ngannou. That's not what Nate is saying. But I think there are way too many people that actually interpreted it in that manner. So I think that's just one thing to get out there. The second thing is that Nate doesn't really want to be in the UFC. And if he doesn't want to be in the UFC, there's no reason to keep him here longer. Um, he might as well just leave if he doesn't want to be in the promotion. So those are two things just to keep in mind. And in terms of booking Nate's last opponent, I think the most likely opponent will probably be Hamza Chumayev. Um... And if you're a big Nate Diaz fan, that is unfortunate. I just think that they want to get... If they, if Nate wants to leave the UFC, the UFC won't like that. And they'll go, okay, how can we how can we kind of kick him out the door, right? If you get smashed by Chimaev in your last fight, it makes it a lot more... It makes it look a lot more like, you know, we're, we're firing you, not you're leaving us. So I think the UFC may take that approach. And at the same time, that builds up a young star like Chimaev. I think some other options are guys like Kevin Holland, Vicente Luque, um, even a, a Wonder Boy Thompson. I think those are some names where I don't think we see him fight a top five guy. Um, rather, I see I think we see him fight someone just on the edge, um, and everyone acknowledges that okay, this is the fight where we can get something out of it, um, and and we see Nate walk. And I think those are all interesting fights. Kevin Holland, Wonder Boy. I think those are all fights where you're like, who's who? Like, I could see people believing that Nate wins those fights for a variety of reasons. I'm not sure that I would pick Nate in those fights, but I think it would make people interested. I think another option is Tony Ferguson. If Tony really wants to go to 170, I think that Nate Diaz would be a good option there. Um, even if Tony doesn't want to go to 170, I think it's still a good opportunity for him to be in there fighting someone that um, would come to fight and um, we'd really be able to kind of gauge the skills of Tony Ferguson a little bit better because he has been fighting guys who are so, so good, whether it be Chandler, um, whether it be Darius, whether it be any other any of the other fighters that he's fought. I don't need to name them all off. But um, regardless... Um, I, I think Tony has been a little bit outmatched, but if he can go out there and beat Nate Diaz, I think that it would m mean a little bit more because, well, well, Nate might not be the best fighter in the world anymore. You're beating a good opponent. Nate is still good. He might not be great, but that's a good way to get Tony a good win. And you can kind of evaluate where he's at in his career after that fight. So I think that would make sense both for Tony and for Nate. So I think that is also another fight that we may see for Nate Diaz. And those are just a couple of quick things that I wanted to say about Nate. Um, if I wanted to go in-depth on Nate, that could be an hour of a podcast on its own, but I, I kind of wanted to keep it brief so we don't sit here talking about Nate Diaz all day, which is a very, very real possibility because we can talk about buts and ifs and, and all these things for a very long time. Obviously, I didn't even mention it, but that Conor McGregor fight is there as well. Um, once again, that's if he um, fights. Um, once again, that's 
if uh, that is if um, he wants that fight, and that is if Connor is healthy. Now um, we're gonna move on to some news, and we had some news. I, I broke it earlier. I, I leaked it. Well, I didn't leak it. That's not really what I mean. But um, I spoiled it earlier in the podcast. We will see Charles Oliveira fight Islam Makhachev at on October twenty second at UFC two eighty. Obviously, that is a, a great fight. That is the fight that everyone has wanted. That is the fight that we are getting. So props to the UFC for making that fight. They made a good one. Um, I'm going to be very interested in that fight. From a stylistic matchup, I think the this provides a very interesting and intriguing opportunity to kind of look at how some fighters fight. And, and I don't think we see fights like this every day where we have two incredibly high-level grapplers who are different types of grapplers. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how they match up on the feet as well. So there's a lot that really intrigues me about this matchup. And I am excited. I am excited. And it feels like it holds a lot of weight. I don't think that anyone else in this division, I think that Charles Oliveira and Islam Makhlchev are the two clear guys. And this may be like a Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky type of fight where this holds some really, really, really big stakes, right? Um, we may see the loser of this fight end up being a type of guy who is in that, you know, one to two, you know, he's always ranked near the top, but he just can't beat the champion. And I think we'll see the champion be a guy who defends his belt. Um, a handful of times in that division um, just based off what we have right now. So I think this could be a very, very important fight for, for each guy's legacy. And I think that the winner of this fight will have a big jump on really moving himself up the rankings as an all-time great lightweight. And I think we could have some very interesting discussions in the future in terms of these guys in their career because I do think both of them are very very talented now moving on from that we also had another fight on October 22nd at UFC 280 this one will be below Muhammad and Sean Brady this fight just makes sense too um, I think these guys are two guys that fans you know may view as boring fighters from what I've seen and and Twitter I'm not saying that's my opinion, but I think that is the general consensus that I have picked up. But what I can tell you is that these two guys are two very, very talented guys. Uh, these two guys are good at winning fights, and I think that the winner of this fight will, without a doubt, put themselves in a position where, okay, I have to get a top five opponent now. I think Bilal Muhammad... Um, I respect what Bilal Muhammad is doing a lot in, the, in, in taking this fight because he's sitting at top, he's sitting at five right now. But um, is he going to fight Gilbert Burns? Is he going to fight Hamzat Chumayev? Is he going to fight Leon Edwards? Is he going to fight Colby Covington? I, I don't think that he would have gotten any of those fights. So instead of sitting around and watching Sean Brady beat guys and watching Sean Brady jump him in those rankings... He said, all right, let me, get a, let me get the jump on Sean Brady. That way he doesn't come up and get the jump on me. That is, a, that is a thing that I have spoken about as of recently. I've spoken a lot about it um, 
when it's pertaining to the lightweight division because we see a lot of a lot of guys in that top five at lightweight who said, oh, no, I, I don't need that fight right now. And then look at Islam Makhlchev. Islam Makhlchev slowly was hopping guys in this division who declined fights against him, right? Imagine if someone would have taken a fight against Islam and beaten Islam. Um, they wouldn't be getting hopped in those rankings by him. They wouldn't be getting hopped in terms of who's going to get a title shot. So I think that Bilal Muhammad is strategically playing this division very well. And I think that will be beneficial for him if he can get a win. Um, now, we are going to move, actually one more thing. Um, shout out to Marcel Dorf. He is the guy I get a lot of my fight news from when I do these little, you know, fight bookings in the podcast. So his Twitter is at BigMarcel24. So go follow him on Twitter um, if you're interested in seeing fight announcements on Twitter. He is the guy to follow. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there before we move down. Now. Moving on to UFC London. That is the card that we have this weekend. And it is a very, very, very good card. Um, We are headlined by Tom Aspinall and Curtis Blades. And let me pull it up on my computer. But um, there are a handful of other fights on this as well, we have a Patty Patty Pimblet fight. Um, we have pretty much a ma- the majority of the ranked fighters um, from Europe. A lot of them are fighting on this card. Now, um, all right, we got it. We got it pulled up now. All right, main event we have Curtis Blades versus Tom Aspinall. Um, in this fight. I, I'm really intrigued as to how Curtis Blades is going to fight. We've seen Curtis Blades fight in his last couple fights, and we've slowly seen him. We've so, slowly seen him be willing to stand and trade a little bit more, um, and he, he he was successful in it against Auskis. But wrestling is still the bread and butter. Tom Aspinall, who is a very very good striker, also a good grappler doesn't get enough credit for his well-balanced skill set. And I think this fight is simply going to come down to how well can Aspinall defend the takedowns? How good of a grappler is he really? Um, if Tom Aspinall can show some good defensive grappling, I think he's going to win the exchanges on his feet and get himself a win. If he starts getting taken down and can't get up, I think that's when this fight is really going to swing in Blades' favor. But... Um, I just really think from what I've seen from Tom Aspinall, he is a very, very good fighter who's very well balanced. And I think he comes in with a good game plan to win each and every fight. And I think that will help him in this one. So my early prediction, I haven't watched any film yet, but I would lean Tom Aspinall this far out in the week. In the co-main, we have Jack Hermanson versus Chris Curtis. This was originally supposed to be Jack Hermanson versus Darren Till. However... Um, Darren Till got injured. Chris Curtis stepped in. And I think the question here again will be, can Chris Curtis stop those takedowns? He was able to do it against Adolfo Vieira. Can you do it against Jack Hermanson? Who, I think Jack Hermanson isn't the same level of grappler as Adolfo Vieira. 
However, Jack Hermanson has sculpted his grappling to fit MMA a little bit better, I believe. Um, in terms of grappling in an octagon, he may be a better grappler. Um, just because he is so much better at getting fights to the ground, he's a he's better in, in that sense. So, um, but in, in fights like that Sean Strickland fight, we saw him get beat pretty badly on the feet. And I think he traded a little bit with Vittor. He traded a lot with Vittor, actually. So in his last couple of fights, even though he's a good grappler, he's really done a lot of work on the feet. And Chris Curtis can also fight with you on your feet as well. Um, interesting matchup. I lean Chris Curtis. Because Chris Curtis is the type of guy who finds a way to win. You can do all the pre-fight discussion and, and tape watching and all of this to determine who has the edge. But I think at the end of the day, Chris Curtis is someone who is really good at finding a way to win, even when he's not supposed to. And I think that is the situation where we will see that we will see here, where he's not supposed to be beat the the number seven guy, ring guy in the world. He, I think he's ranked number seven, um, but that's just not what Chris Curtis number eight. That's just not Chris Curtis and his game because he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't, you know, the traditional route says you beat someone in the top 10, then you get a guy, or you beat someone, you know, around 10, and then you beat someone around 7, and then you beat someone around 5, and you slowly go up those rankings. Chris Curtis getting shot right up to number 7. I think um, he's the type of guy that can get it done. Now, um, we're going to start going a little bit faster because we don't need to be here for an hour as I as I in-depthly discuss every fight in Boy, are there are a lot of fights on this card. Jeez. Um, all right, we're going to go speedy. Like I said, Patty Pimblett versus Jordan Levitt. Very good fight. Decent test for Patty Pimblett. I think this one will, you know, two very good grapplers. I think this one may be determined by who is the better striker. And I think I, I'm not very big on Patty Pimblett. I don't think Patty Pimblett is great. I don't think he's as good as a lot of people say he is with that being said i do think patty pimblett is better than jordan levitt so i will go with patty pimblett in that fight nikia kurlov versus alexander gustafson i believe this fight is taking place at light heavyweight i don't know how gustafson is going to look i think prime gustafson wins this fight but we not, might not get prime gustafson so i would lean nikita kurlov um, but uh, if we see a good version of Gustafson, I, I think he could KO Nikita. But like I said, I'm not sure that that Gustafson is going to step into the ring. Molly McCann will be fighting Hannah Goldie. That's an interesting fight. Um, I'm more inter interested to see if Molly McCann can he keep this hot streak up because she is very well known for that spinning elbow. So I'm interested to see what she does after that. Hannah Goldie is not as experienced as Molly McCann. She is 6-2, while Molly is 12-4. And, and she hasn't fought the same level of competition. I would lean towards Molly, Molly, Molly ooh. I would lean towards Molly McCann in this one, is what I was trying to say before I hit a really bad stutter. But I would lean Molly McCann. Paul Craig versus Volkan Ozdemir. This is a Paul Craig fight, so um, I think Volkan Osamir will be way better on the feet. But if Paul Craig can get a, get you in a triangle choke, you'll probably lose. 
Um, I think this is just like every other Paul Craig fight. Um, treat it as such. Now, we'll just say, I'll go with Paul Craig. I think he gets it done. Mark Casey versus Damir Hasdovich. Mark Casey is a very, very good striker. I don't really know too much about Damir Hasdovich. He has not fought since 2021 when he beat Anthony Medeiros. That was in July, I believe, of 2021. Yep. And then... Prior to that, he had losses. He had one fight in 2020 where he lost to Renato Moicano. Lost to Christos Giagos in 2019. Um, and then he had some wins over some guys who are no longer in the UFC. Has a loss to Alan Patrick. Mark Casey, very now well-known, like I said, for being a great striker. I think um, this one should be very close. But um, the activity of Casey, I think, will prove to be beneficial for him in this one. Um, Nathaniel Wood versus Charles Rosa. Nathaniel Wood was at one point a very, very highly touted prospect, but he tripped up a couple times, has two losses, um, some decent wins on his resume though. Charles Rosa is someone who has been beaten by some top prospects, um, losses to Bryce Mitchell. Then he dropped some losses to Shane Burgos, Yair Rodriguez. Um, he's got a lot of losses, but when you look at the losses that he has, you know a lot of the names of the guys that he's lost to. He's lost to some good competition. I think this one should also be close. I would lean Daniel Wood. Makwani um, Marikani versus Jonathan Pierce. Makwani Marikani has been fighting well as of late, if I'm remembering correctly. He's been in the UFC for a long time. And he beat Mike Grundy with an anaconda choke in his last fight. That's what I was thinking of, but he lost the last three prior to that. One of those to Lerone Murphy, one to Edson Barbosa, and prior to that he lost to Shane Burgos, lost to Arnold Allen. So, some losses on the resume. He's another guy that only loses to top competition. Jonathan Pierce is on a three-fight winning streak, last loss to Joe Lozon. That fight's going to be really interesting. I don't really... You know, I'm not up to date on Jonathan Pierce, so I'm not going to make a pick on that one. Charles Johnson versus Mohamed Mokayev. Um, Charles Johnson is 11-2, and two, and he's not a terrible, terrible fighter. He's won a lot of fights in, the row, in a row. Heavy, heavy boxing background. One of those losses is to Brandon Royval. But Mohamed Mokayev, I think he is... Just something different. He is 21 years old. He has, I believe, 20. He's 23 and 0 on the amateur scene, and he's 6 and 0 on the pro MMA scene. That's not the type of guy where I I like to pick against. So I'm going to go with Mohamed Mokayev. I think he's a little bit more well rounded, and I think that will help him. Jai Herbert is returning to fight Kyle Nelson. Um, Jai Herbert was on the unfortunate end of a knockout against Ila Teporia, where he was winning that fight, but Ila Teporia landed a big, big, big shot to put him out. Um, Kyle Nelson has not been fighting too well as of late. I like Jai Herbert. I like what I saw from him in that last fight. Then, um, we have three fights left. Mandy Baum versus Victoria Leonardo. 
is the one of the two female fights on this card. It will be the first one that comes up. Mandy Baum has the better record. Um, like I said, I'm going to be honest. This is an initial look at this card, and I don't really know too much about either of these fighters. Baum's last fight was against Ariane Lipsky, her only UFC fight, and she lost that fight. And... Okay, and Victoria Leonardo has losses against Melissa Gatto and Manon Fior. So, um, I would advise these ladies to get a win before they get in dangerous territory. Nicholas Dalby versus Claudio Silva. Nicholas Dalby is someone I think doesn't really get enough respect in this welterweight division. Um, even me earlier, I didn't even think about mentioning him when I was listing off a lot of unranked welterweights that I like. I, I, I left him out of there. Um, but he, he fights well, and he, he gets good, you know, he, he has some good wins on that record. I have a lot of respect for him. I think he, he has a draw with Darren Till, I believe. Yep. And Claudio Silva is also a very good fighter. He's lost his last two, but he has, you know, the ability to win any fight based off of how good he is at jujitsu. So that's uh, just something to keep in mind. I think that one will be close. If it stays standing, I'll give it to Nicholas Dalby. If he gets to the ground, it's going to be Claudio Silva. So keep that in mind. Um, Mason Jones is stepping in to take the spot of Ignacio Bahamondes, and he's from Wales big history in England, um, fought for cage warriors. So he is a staple there and one of the better European prospects. Ludwig Klein also very, very good. I, I really was high on him at one point in his career. And if you look at his resume, you will know why Ludwig Klein going back to how far do we want to go back in 2017? He won via head kick in the first round against Christoph Klajic. And then fast forward a couple years, and at Octagon Prime 3 in 2020, he won by head kick. And then he gets the UFC call off that head kick. And what's he do? At UFC 253, he wins that fight via head kick. And so I cannot help but really like Lovett Klein. However, he did lose his last two fights. Or excuse me, he lost two of his last three. Um, the two losses coming to Mike Trezano and Nate Landwehr. Win over Devontae Jones. So, these are two guys that I really, really like. Um, I would have to lean with Mason Jones just because he has that win over David Onama on his record. And David Onama is a fighter that I think is really good. And I have a, a lot of respect for Onama. And I think a win... Um, against him it is very meaningful and I think that um, that would lead me to lean his way and that is the last fight we are going to talk about on UFC London like I mentioned those are just some initial thoughts I, I, I really do not do research on fights or watch film until you know Monday Tuesday Wednesdays um, are usually the time that I do that sometimes I get some last minute in on, on Thursday and Friday but usually a lot of the film that I do gets done on Monday through Wednesday, and, and I make some picks. But um, so this is just kind of an initial look 
That's why, like I said, I always say it when we do these the pay-per-views. I preview those a week earlier. Um, but um, in the future here, I plan on getting a better grasp on some of these cards by, by Sunday. But I'm usually very focused on the fight that um, just happened. That's why we lead off with the breakdown of last week because that's where all my focus is. Now, um, regardless, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. Went off the rails a couple of times. Um, we'll try and do better next time. But um, regardless, I hope you enjoyed and make sure to come back again. Even if you don't, thank you for watching this episode of the Head Kick KO Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, my God.